0: Hi, and welcome to the Parenting in the Middle podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Goodman. I'm a certified life coach and a mom to four teenagers. Do you ever wonder if you're doing this whole mom thing right? Are you pushing too hard or not enough? What does it look like to love your teens yet keep firm boundaries? Would you love to get your kids to listen without yelling and feeling frustrated first? Here in this podcast, you will find coaching and communication strategies to help you tackle all of your hardest parenting struggles. These strategies will help you parent with more confidence, peace, and influence. I'm so glad you're here. Let's go. All right, I'm so excited to introduce you to my guest today, Darby Fox. She is a child and adolescent family therapist in Connecticut. She has her own private practice, and with over 20 years of experience, she is an expert on parenting, child psychology, and family topics. So what a perfect guest to have on my podcast because my listeners are, most of them are parents of teenagers or they're they're going to have teenagers and they're really nervous about this stage of life. And so I really love what you share and I'm excited to dive into some of the topics today. So Darby, tell me how you got into this field. I
1: always loved working with kids and uh, I think I sort of gravitated towards adolescence, which it's not the most common area for working with kids uh, because people think it's so difficult, but I always found it really rewarding. And I think maybe I felt not really heard or understood as a teenager. Like I was always supposed to kind of fall in line. I was one of six in seven years. So that's, that. I I get that too. Yeah. But
0: where did you um, fall in that?
1: Two older brothers. Okay. So then- kind of right in the middle, but you know, you could say oldest daughter, whatever. Okay. Um, And there probably is a lot of truth to all of that. But (laughs) anyway, um, I think that I love working with adolescents because I feel by and large, they really want to please people and they want to do well and be recognized for being pretty efficient and smart and all of those things. But sometimes, because of all the difficult things that come up in adolescence, I think they feel misunderstood or not really valued. And so I like a different approach than an authoritarian approach to help um, really understand them and build relationships because that's really what it's about.
0: I agree. And that's what I've seen as I've learned some of these tools and have applied them to my own teenagers. And Mm -hmm. have learned to see the good in them and how they really do want to do well and they want to please. But sometimes it's hard because they can be so frustrating or disrespectful or when they're in that mode of like not doing what you want them to do and you feel like they don't care. So what would your advice be to parents? And you have um, this idea of decoding the language of teenagers in order to gain respect like that kind of goes along with it. So tell me a little bit about that.
1: So, so I think what we want to do is as with any relationship, right. But particularly adolescents, because they are trying to build independence. That's what they're hardwired neurologically psychologically to be doing through those years. So what I, I, I think is best is sort of say, take a minute and pull back and look at where are we butting heads what would I like and what are they resisting? And again, often if we ask them that, we don't often say, well, what do you think or how would you get this done? This is what I need. How would you like to get there? They actually feel that is like, oh, I get some control here. And that notion that they have control helps decode the whole problem because what they resist is us as parents or you know, people in a sort of hierarchy, a teacher, a coach, implying that they don't know so much. And I think right. that that really helps us.
0: It immediately puts them on the defensive. Yeah, right. Yeah. And
1: once anybody's defensive, then the whole way we read a situation is different, right? And we're going into it sort of with an escalated, you know, amygdala. We're looking at it kind of from an anxious or I've got to, I've got to defend myself. Yeah, We aren't doing our best problem solving. So I think if we can approach it from, okay, this is, these are the things I need, or you don't actually get to talk to me that way. And then, you know, we have to remember to use our energy to, to pull back, to regulate situations as opposed to just yelling. And then frequently what I find is parents do th- that anyway. Like, um, often my kid is so disrespectful to me and I'm like okay and you still got up and you made them pancakes and you packed their lunch and you got them out the door so you can't do that you have to say you know what I don't love the way you're treating me and I'm I'm not going to be available until this changes and that's a really important idea for them to get early on because as an adult you don't get to you know run wild like that. So I think it's important right. that we sort of regulate at, a, at an earlier age.
0: Yeah. So what would you define the ages then of adolescence?
1: Um, it's kind of tricky, but I would say pretty much at 12. I, I, it's, it's different. I mean, you don't do the same with a 12 year old as an 18 year old, obviously. Yeah. But I would say starting at 12, they're really kind of balancing that line of, I want to do it on my own. And I don't want to quite be a kid anymore. But by the time we're 14, we're definitely solidly into adolescent years. And then I think um, you can parent again differently once you hit the 19 into the early 20s. But again, we still have to remember that they aren't really fully formed yet.
0: Yeah. Right, right. Until what would you say? When? When do you kind of? I don't want to. I'm using the word cut off, but we're not really (laughs) cutting off ever. I don't think as a parent. But the age then where it's like, okay, your child is now an adult, and really, it is time to step back.
1: Um, I think that the whole, uh, we do parent longer than any other species, right? We really have prolonged that period, especially with college. And I think somewhere in the college ages, you're still guiding, you're still there for them, but by and large, they're operating on their own on a day-to-day basis. So I think kind of as we go through there, it's a gradual pulling away more, Mm -hmm. allowing them to make more decisions. And then you're there as a support. Okay, that didn't go so well. What else are you thinking as opposed to you have to do it my way?
0: Yeah. And trying to get in and fixing it. Right. That. That's yeah. a good framework, I think, to visualize as your kids grow older, kind of starting at 12 and then things will yeah. gradually change. Like you've got 14, 15 yeah. and then upwards to, you know, into yeah. college years. So yeah. I love how you're saying it's almost like you have to regulate your own emotions as the parent. Take a step back, not react so quickly. And then you're, you kind of gave language to that of like, this is what I need. Yeah. I love that. And so I do talk to a lot of parents where the most difficult thing is then stepping back and not doing those things, like helping your kid get off to school because they need breakfast. They need all of those things, but yet they're not being respectful. So it's like having that line of this is what I expect and you want to love them through it and, you know, respond in a loving way, but also have your boundary. Could we talk a little bit about that? What that would be?
1: Yeah. I think parents have to be really clear about that. So the boundary has to have some sort of fluidity, right? It's not so hard uh, because then you'll, you'll really cut, your adolescent out right it'll be too hard for them to even venture going there especially if they're unsure about something they're like I'm not going to risk that because what if they judge me adolescents don't like to be judged so I think what you want to say is with your boundaries you need to model what how you would like them to treat people right so again that's where often parents are waking kids up for school, they're taking them the things they forget, the kids yelling at them or talking back or not showing up for curfew. That's where you say, wait a sec, I do actually have a lot of control. And parents frequently say to me, well, I took their phone away or whatever. That isn't control. The control comes from the piece of your energy saying, you know what, that's actually not okay. And I'm not there for you to do those things when you can't, be, give me common respect. So I think that's really important. And it is also important to follow through. Like we, we do want to get them out. Well, well, what would happen if they don't, don't get to school on time? I don't know what would happen. They get a, you know, detention. It's okay. They can handle detention. We don't need to get them out of that. And I think that we would see less struggles in the early twenties, little bit mid twenties, with jobs and discontent, if we gave them more of an opportunity through adolescence to sort of experience failure or less, um, if we weren't propping them off all the time.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And I do know it is hard, you know, as my own, I'm kind of in that stage of like, middle school, high school, you want them to succeed, you want to help them. But when you help them too much, you can feel that resentment, which affects the relationship and affects how you talk to them if they do do something that they aren't supposed to do. So this is such good information and so helpful for parents. Allowing your kids to fail, uh, not stepping in so much, but yet not, um, being authoritarian. Right. Authoritarian parenting isn't
1: great. It, it, It works when kids are very little, right? Because, um, you know, the three-year-old, the five-year-old, you kind of have to really set that directive. So, yeah, but that, that but right, they need the structure, but again, you, you still want them to be building it on their own. So really parenting, I think it's important to think of, it's kind of a net and in the younger years, you know, it's a pretty tight net. You don't let them fall out a lot, but then as they get older, we want the the holes to be bigger in the net. And, you know, sort of less control as we get older. And I think that if we think of what is our goal, like, what am I trying to do here other than just the day-to-day regulation, if we're looking at the bigger picture, then that helps us, um, I think, be able to pull back and allow them to struggle a little more. And struggling is important because that's how we know um, that we're going to be okay. Right. That teaches us. I can reset. I can handle disappointment. I don't always have to be doing something really makes me happy. And all those pieces are what help your child develop into a person that feels safe and comfortable in their own skin. And that's that's why we do that.
0: Yeah, I love that. So as a parent, if you do have a child who is struggling in school, Maybe they're not getting good grades, or they're not applying themselves as you think that they yes. should. So you do step back, and you're not as available. Right. I'm trying to just think what that would look like as far as sometimes you just want to go into that like really controlling, like this is what you have to do. You have yes. to get the grade. How would you handle that with a high schooler?
1: So, so I think it's important that, um, especially at the high school age. Frequently, there's a notion that if we have been in our generations, myself included, we tend to think, okay, we'll we'll help in and we'll make them, we'll help them get to that good college or whatever that you know piece is for us. An incredible athlete, great musician, yeah. what a trade school, whatever that piece may be, we're going to help them there, and they kind of rely on that. And then they can also be a little rude and dismissive because. They're used to us picking up the pieces. So with a high schooler that is a little resistant, doesn't really want to do the work, I think it's really important as parents that we take the load and the blame off of us so they can't blame us. And you say, all right, well, you'd like to go to this place. You'd like to be a D1 athlete. Look at the statistics of how the kids get there. What's the first question they're asked? They're asked, what are your grades? once they start to see it's not about you controlling them and there are other things with colleges, well, where would you like to go? And then you see, these are the board scores or this is the grade with an art school. This is the portfolio you, you need to have so that it's not the parent inflicting that kind of knowledge on them. It's like, there's not a lot I can do if you don't hit these benchmarks. That's why you wanna hit the benchmark. I've been to college or I've already done, I'm grown. Like, yeah, I'm not yeah. going back. So you need to think about where are you in this? And if what you're fighting me on is control, take control. Who are you? Do you want to disappoint your teachers? Do you do you not want to perform? We have to be ready to allow them to kind of fall off if that's what has happened, but be really clear then what that looks like, right? okay, then you're not going to be going to those schools. I I wish you would, but I can't make you do that. Yeah. That's, you know, that I think with anything that always makes us look at it a little differently. Right. Yeah.
0: I think that's a really good visual that a lot of us can relate to. And so when I'm thinking and putting myself in that position, it's like, what I would want is to have that conversation And then have my child go. Yes, I understand what you're saying, and then do those things because they want to. And so then, where I would feel super stressed is if my child did not take my advice to heart and they still didn't step up.
1: So, uh, so there's two that that's important, and there are two pieces there. I think um, a lot of times the language that you want to give your use with your uh high schooler is, I want you to have a lot of choices. I'm not saying exactly where you're gonna go, but the more you comply to this norm that our society has set, and I'm, I'm not, I'm saying, I don't really know that it's great to do well in English or have great chemistry exams. I get what you're saying, but this is what our society measures things on. So I want you as my child to have a lot of choices. And you think about that. The choice is yours. That is a whole different philosophy for him. It makes him think, oh, actually, it, it will be up to me. That's a, that's a good conversation starter, if you will. And the yeah. other piece is, as parents, we still do kind of know better and have a better end game feel for that. It's okay to say, you know what? If you don't have Bs or whatever that might be for your family. If, if if you don't have an 86 in all these classes, I know you're capable of getting it in, I don't give you the car every weekend or yeah, you can't you can't go out during the week. Whatever that is an early adolescent. I'm not letting you have the phone at night if we keep getting things back from the school saying you haven't turned in your homework. So again, What the language we want to say there is we set the parameter, but then we say it's your choice. If you want to have a phone this weekend, turn in all your assignments. If you don't, okay, then don't turn your assignments in. So again, what it does is it takes the struggle away from us because we're putting the onus not only on our child, but back maybe on the school the school says you need to have this in. It's like, okay, and you often hear, I did, but their calendars aren't up to date or the you know Aspen yeah. catalog is not up to date. Then it's easier for you to say, I don't know what to do about that. What can you do? Contact your teacher, because if I see some blanks here, you know the rule. The rule is you don't go out on the weekend if you haven't turned in your homework. That's pretty basic. And then you can say, look, you didn't do it. Not me. It's not me.
0: Yeah. And And you can stay calm in that.
1: Yes. You can stay calm in that. And that usually is a bit of a motivator. The key thing is you got to follow through, even if there's a great party or a homecoming event and they haven't done it, you don't have to follow through. Like they're not going to repeat it a lot. If you really do follow through where the stakes are higher, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's such good advice. Thank you so much. I think that gives us language that we can apply and use with our kids. Yeah. And it really is on us to be consistent. Yeah. Have those conversations and expectations set ahead of time. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, and that is important. Set them ahead of time. These are our parameters. And sometimes it's, it's okay. It's our, in our family, this is what we expect. And, you know, if your friends don't have the same standard or they get to go out all the time or they don't have a curfew, that's amazing for their family. Mm -hmm. Just that's not ours. Doesn't
0: work for us.
1: Yeah. Right. And that doesn't have to be an argument. And again, we want to make really sure with adolescents, we say that in a way I love you to death, but this is the rule. They're not the same. Right. Like I'm not withdrawing love if I, have you paid the consequence. Right. I still love you the same, but you've got to learn this.
0: Yeah. How, how strict is it important to be? So like talking with curfew, if you have a child, yep. this is something I have coached parents on as well and dealt with myself where you have a child yep. who is constantly late, or maybe they're just a little bit late and you kind of feel like disrespected because you're the parent you should they should be home when you say they should be home. Yeah. And, and what's, what's your thought and opinion on if they're like 10 minutes late, how big of a deal do we make that? Is that case by case? Or is there something to being really strict in certain areas? So um, I would answer that both,
1: right? Okay. So by, by and large, be strict because if what we're doing is teaching them when you have a job, You can't just show up 10 minutes late every, you know, three times a week or twice a week. You're going to lose your job. So actually, it is important that by and large, without contacting me in advance, your curfew is, you know, whatever, 1130 midnight on Friday and Saturday night. You must be here. If you are 10 minutes late and you haven't called me, you're dropping someone off or, the movie just ended, then there is a consequence. But remind them at the time, they're choosing to not be able to go out the next night or they're choosing to not be able to go out the next weekend. Really important, that little bit of creeping up, oh, I'll be home around. I think if we feel it's disrespectful, you have to shut it down. If they're you know you live in a place there's lots of other traffic or you happen to be one of the kids that um is driving everybody home, and there's a little you know play your child's not drinking, and they're dropping off six kids yeah. we wanna applaud their being responsible, and okay, whatever, you're here at twelve fifteen instead right. of twelve, love you try and try and leave sooner right yeah. yeah we we don't need to dig in there, okay. but if it's right so. But have that conversation, say, you know, this is why I need you here. And let's try and let's try and hit that mark.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. And it, and it's respectful of your, where your child's at. Yeah. And it gives you right. permission as the parent to know, know your child and their intentions. Right. Yeah. And there's no, certain, there's no, I think that's what gets us all, a lot of times in that dysregulated place when we feel like there is a certain role, we should be this way and our kids should be that way. And if we're not, then we've done something wrong. Right. So I like that, that permission to just do what you feel is best for your child. So something else. Oh, so sorry, go ahead.
1: I I was just going to say in a family too. And I, I know this with four kids. I mean, I had one daughter who pushed it more often. Um, My youngest who happens to be a boy, was the one that was kind of dropping, delivering, taking on a lot of responsibility. And sometimes he'd be in early, sometimes it would be slightly after, but he had a good sense for that. And I didn't really say a lot unless it was inappropriate. Yeah. Whereas the oldest daughter pushed it more. So you don't have to parent the same per kid. You yes. can, you know, because they have different personalities.
0: Yeah, I know, which makes it a lot of fun and a lot of learning. So much <laughs> yeah. Along the way. Right? So something else you talk about are the myths of adolescence that make it more difficult to handle your adolescent child. So like some of these myths and stereotypes where we just kind of like dismiss or think it's just gonna be horrible before we're even there yet.
1: Yeah. Um One of the ones I think is the biggest that I really love is we have this notion that adolescents don't want to listen to you, don't care about what you say or any adults. Frankly, they just want to be with other peers and they really are very dismissive of adults. And that's not true. They actually love to please. And the adults they're most dismissive of are the ones they feel are judging them or don't have... Um, A lot of faith in them. Mm -hmm. And we we have seen also with a lot of research that one thing that correlates very strongly, in fact, most strongly to being successful as an adult in, in however you successful from a perspective of regulating yourself and being able to have a happy, fulfilling life is did you have a mentor when you were younger, particularly during adolescence? Someone, not your parent, but that you looked up to, a coach, a teacher, your parent's friend, that you felt you you wanted to be like them or you wanted to please them or listen to them. And if you can, as a parent, put some of your angst off on other adults that are important in your kid's life, they really do cherish that mentorship. And they don't want to disappoint. And that's a, an important way to kind of get them on board with being respectful. And it teaches them a lot. And it gives them faith. And then they kind of pay it forward when they look at younger kids. And I think that's a really important myth. They they do want older people to respect them and think that they kind of get it. And, and that's really important. And you can use that um, so often in raising adolescents. So that, that's one, um, I think another myth is the piece that they just do risky things because they wanna um, you know, sort of put it to their parents is, yeah. right, I think we have to remember that really the job of adolescents from a neurological, psychological perspective is to get you ready to be on your own. So the brain is growing and changing at a very rapid rate through adolescence. And it's hardwired for novelty seeking, new experiences, and um, gratifying things. So the gratifying things are usually a little more risky, right? Because we're learning how to drive, and there's some alcohol involved, or boys, girls, hookups, whatever that may look like, more risky behavior. Yeah. If we know as parents that they're not just trying to Go for that, but that they are hardwired being told by their brains, go for that, then that allows us to parent differently. We can preview what some of those risks might be. And then we can also set boundaries ahead of, I don't just let you go to New York City on the train and come home whenever you want because this happens or because of that. And I think it's really important that if we think they're looking for gratification, they're not stopping to assess risk neurologically, then we can kind of forget about um, sort of punishing them for that, right? Like, why didn't you think about it? Like they literally didn't think about it. As if
0: they did it on purpose and punish. Yeah, I'm very much in the, it's more helpful to have a conversation with them about it. Get, you know, and you can have that influence So much more than if it's like you did that, so you deserve to be punished when you can get curious and see why, what happened or what led up to that. Yes. And that
1: word you use is so good to use curious. And even when they do mess up, because they all are at some point going to mess up, you sort of say, okay, what do you think you could do differently? Instead of telling them how much they messed up or what they need to do differently, let them come up with a solution. And that is not to say, I'm letting you off the hook. You can do anything you want and I'll just be like, okay with it. That's not what I'm implying. I'm implying that you say to them, they have to be able to own what they didn't do well Mm -hmm. and then kind of process how to get a different result. And we do need to let them practice it. And it's the time for them to practice it.
0: Yeah. And so helpful. I've noticed that too, when you do put it on them and ask a question like that, instead of like telling them what you think, they already know yeah. how yeah. you feel and think usually then it does allow for more space. There's not as many power struggles because instead of, right. you know, when you get mad at your teenager, then it immediately makes them feel and entitled to be mad back at you instead of taking ownership of what they've done. And so it's so powerful to put it, ask them that question. I love that question. How do you feel like that could have gone differently? And then they can't really get mad at you because you're not yelling at them and they really have to sit with what they've done or think about it, which they're totally capable of doing.
1: Yeah. Totally capable of it, but we do need to slow them down and give them that opportunity to process Um, they are, the brain is growing and changing so rapidly that, but they have way more elasticity and capability than necessarily we do for problem solving, Right. but they don't have the experience. So they don't really know how to put the pieces together. And I think that's important for us as parents to keep in mind. It's not just a, you know, sort of screw you mom. It's, I didn't quite get this right.
0: Yeah, I love that. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much. The last question I will ask, because I think like <laughs> it is so important, is social media. And something yeah. that I had read, I can't remember where I read it, but it was that the more likes and views a video gets, the less uh, an adolescent is capable of like reasoning with that like risky behavior. I think they called it the be careful part of their brain. Yeah. Cannot yeah isn't thinking clearly. So because it's gotten so many likes and views, they might engage in risk, riskier behavior.
1: Absolutely. So, and if we tie that into what I just said about the brain is hardwired for gratification, yeah. right? So if you're thinking about that, there's a couple important pieces with the social media. So the likes are tied to a little bit of dopamine, right? That's mm-hmm. the pleasure pump in our brain. and And that feels good, right? That, 10 likes is good. A hundred likes is better. Like that feels better. Right. And it keeps us going. So that's what they're looking at. They aren't assessing the situation or what that may be about, whether it's, you know, do this, like it's one of the silly challenges or, you know, posting a girl inappropriately, whatever it is, they're not assessing that piece. They're like, Oh, this is Giving me, I'm popular, I get a little dopamine here, this feels good. How many can I get? And they keep going. And the brain is hardwired through the adolescent period to hit the neurotransmitters for that are going at about a five to one ratio for the GABA that says, stop, think about it. Interesting. This isn't great, right? So, again, that doesn't mean we just let them do it and say, oh, there's nothing we can do we say, okay, let's look at this. Why might this not be a great idea? What could happen? And, you know, that is one of the dangers of social media is a lot of times it's really unregulated and we don't process what's happening. Yeah. And we so want that- to, right. Like, you know, we want to do that because you've seen a few years ago, there were some, uh videos posted and I can't remember exactly it wasn't TikTok a couple of years ago but whatever it was that um they would make fun of a person with that might be handicapped or um there was a pretty famous one where they put someone that was handicapped in a closet and people were watching that and responding with a like and I you know maybe that meant they were just acknowledging it but whatever very messed up yeah. but again that people didn't probably assess what was happening; it was this notion of getting more and more likes and If you think about that, that's pretty devastating,
0: right. So do you recommend just having conversations about this with your kids and just keeping that yeah. dialogue open?
1: Yeah, because they're not really gonna stop using it. I mean it's pretty much here to stay and yeah. but you think about and and I think it's important to say, you know. That poor girl, why is she always making herself, is she's editing everything and putting filters on? What must it feel like for her that she can't post a picture of what she really looks like? Like have yeah. that conversation because they don't really think of it. They might think, God, she looks good. I never look like that, right. right? So, or is it really funny to do that to people? What What might it feel like to be on the receiving end? important to have those conversations because they're going to be really interactive. And if you just try to take it or you're really shaming them, they, they go into hiding, right? They don't do it
0: around you. It doesn't stop. They just don't
1: do it around you.
0: Yeah. And you really just don't know what's going on. Exactly. I have learned so much more just by having that conversation without the shaming piece. Because before I would have been more shaming or judgmental of, you know, maybe the person posting those pictures or something. But getting curious has helped with my kids being able to tell me things. And then it also kind of makes me go, oh my gosh, this is horrible. And then you want to take it away. And I try not to do that as much. But this has been really helpful to just keep those, put language to how we need to talk to our kids and just asking those questions. I love those questions.
1: I think it's important as we wrap up here is yeah. to think about that is always at a lot of times we don't ask our adolescents, what do you think? What do you think about this? And in those situations or pretty much any situation, they're amazing at coming up with appropriate responses, but we seldom ask them to, we tell them what they should think or what they should feel or what they should do, right? Yeah. So that part is on us to build that respect and have that where they will follow your boundaries. You want to, you want to give them some um, piece of it. Like where are they in the equation?
0: Right. So respectful. I love that. This has been so helpful, Darby. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Tell my listeners where to find you. If they want more information on what you've written, if they want to work with you, how would they do that?
1: So with with the piece of working with me or something, the handle would be Darby Fox official. And then um, my website's DarbyFox.com. And I did put out a book, Rethinking Your Teenager. um, And that can be found on Amazon or Oxford.com, the publisher. And so if you wanted to reach me, all of those media sites, there's a way to get a hold of me. And, okay. and I, you know, I will put love to the answer links questions. in my show
0: notes as well. Yeah.
1: Okay. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. Kristen. You are so welcome. Thank you. This was such a great conversation. So grateful for Darby for being on my podcast today. She gives some really great applicable tips, phrases that we can use with our teens that really put the ownership on them. We can still have expectations We can still have consequences and boundaries, but ultimately the ownership needs to be on them. And what great advice she gives. And I can't wait to share on my social media. So if you go to Instagram at kristengoodman.com, I'm going to take some of those key phrases that she uses here in this episode and put them over there. So check that out. I will also put all of the links to how you can connect with her and where you can see find her book, find her website. That will be in my show notes. So go check that out as well. Have a good one, everyone.